was scared of losing control because giving up my eating disorder meant that I was giving up control over all these emotions. Like that's how I processed all that trauma and all those like all that bullying is that this was my coping mechanism. I did not want to remove that coping mechanism because I didn't know how to deal with it if I couldn't control my food. I really believe if I didn't get cancer, I would have never gotten help. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today is part one of my conversation with Jesse Haynes. This conversation was so powerful and just touched upon so many things that I've been really learning about and growing into lately that I just, I couldn't bear to, um, edit it all down to one episode, I decided to make two parts. So today you're going to hear the first part of my conversation with Jesse. Jesse is a yogi turned wellness rebel who seeks to become a voice in the anti-diet culture world. Through her experience of cancer and orthorexia, which is a term that means someone who's so obsessed with healthy eating that the behavior becomes unhealthy, and in Jesse's case was masking an eating disorder. Um, she had the wake-up call of a lifetime, and now she's hoping that by speaking out against diet culture, specifically in the realm of yoga and fitness, she can help other people heal. She's been teaching yoga for the last seven years. Right now, she's working towards either a master's in exercise science and sports nutrition or solely nutrition. Her hope is to use this knowledge to help educate people and break the health halo. Health halo is a term that we don't specifically define during the course of our conversation, but it informs a lot of our conversation. So it basically means that there are certain foods and certain food-related behaviors that are touted as being completely and totally and inherently good and healthy for everyone, but that's just not the case. Kale is a good example. Kale has this aura of health around it. It's so good for you. It's so healthy. But some people might not digest kale very well, in which case it's not a healthy option for them. And there are so many food-related behaviors that are touted as one-size-fits-all cure-alls for everything. And that's just not the case. A lot of these behaviors are diets, and these diets are not ultimately very effective for a lot of people. And a lot of people are sold these diets by people who have a vested interest in selling them because they're told that they will lose weight and we live in a really fat phobic society that that makes people feel so bad about themselves and their bodies and so that's what Jesse and I are talking about today we're talking about her experience of having an eating disorder the conditions that created that how it has affected her her health her relationships and what her views are now on on our fat phobic society on our on diet culture so this part one is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. We talk we talk about all those things and we talk about, you know, being women and and how to navigate the trickier parts of body image and how it affects our relationships. And I was so grateful to Jessie for all of her honesty and humor and authenticity. You should definitely follow her on Instagram at a dancing yogini. I will link to her Instagram on the perennials website. It's um, perennials.podbean.com and the perennials Instagram at perennials podcast. And uh, definitely look out for part two of this conversation. It just kept getting better and better and better. It was very hard to hang up the phone. Enjoy. 
Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast. And like I said to you earlier, I've just been, I was listening to the Purposeful Strength podcast you were on, which is so good. I highly recommend that everyone listen to it. And I'll put a link in the show notes. And I'll also link to the, is it Voyage Dallas? The publication that yes yeah that you that interviewed you recently as well um Thank and I you. I just learned so much about you uh and also from following you on Instagram because you share so much about your journey with health and fitness and food and all of that and it's so helpful so so just thank you and I hope everyone will go like thank check you. all that stuff out <laughs> you're so sweet thank you so much Victoria you talked about in the Purposeful Strength podcast, developing a disordered relationship with eating around the age of eight. Could you talk about what you think the conditions were in your life when you were just that little eight-year-old girl that that led to you having this disordered relationship with food? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a huge part of my work in therapy. So it was the first time that my body started to change. I was very thin up until around eight years old. And then I started to gain body fat. And um, from a biological standpoint, a lot of people don't know this. Around this time, young girls need to gain X amount of fat um, in order to get their period. So it's very important. But I think my parents saw that I was gaining weight. Um, and it, it kind of started to make them think like, oh, we don't want kids to pick on her. Like, I'm I'm enough in my recovery to see that now. Like, they just didn't want people to be mean to me. But when that behavior or when those attitudes were put on me, um, I was like, whoa, well, what's wrong with me? And then um, I had a lot of family members that started to bully me about my body. Um, my parents started to take certain foods away from me. Um, my sister could have certain quote unquote fun foods in her lunches, but I couldn't. Um, my sister could have milkshakes, but I couldn't. Um, I had grandparents who would say, you don't really need to eat that cookie, put it away. I had kids at school who used to poke at my body. And um, from ages eight to 12, this is when it really started to go on. And so when all that bullying from so many different um, vantage points, like from home, from school, from friends, it was really, really disheartening. And I hated feeling this way. And I can remember around like, I think I was 10 or 11. I was crying in my bedroom with my mom. And I was begging her to send me to a fat camp. I was like, can you please just send me away? Like, I just want to lose this weight so people will be nice to me. Mm. And um, I remember her saying, like, you're going to go through puberty and you're going to lose this weight and people will be so different and your, you know, your brothers are going to be eating their words. And um, I know she was trying to comfort me, but then it just still instilled in my mind, like when I lose the weight, I will be lovable. Yeah. Um, and so that was ingrained in such a young age. And at about 12 years old, I lost a ton of weight, um, partly from restriction but I would say at this point it was more just you know puberty biology um but I got very 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 thin mm. and I, I will never forget this Victoria I was in the hair salon I think I I was just about to turn 13 years old and my friend's dad walked in and his jaw hit the floor and he goes oh my god you look amazing you lost so much weight and that was the first time I remember somebody being really nice to me and like looking up to me and it was 
that moment that I was like, I can never gain this weight back again. And that's how it started to develop into disordered eating and then later on eating disorders. But it was always that reinforcement of the more weight I kept losing, even at a young age, I received so much praise. And for most of my childhood, I did not get that. It was, you need to change. It was, you're not lovable. It was, your body is weird. So when all of a sudden I got to the other side of things, I was like, I never wanted to feel that pain again. And I never wanted to be bullied again. So I latched on to this eating disorder to not feel those feelings anymore. That's just so heartbreaking. And I mean, there's so much there about, I I feel like what we can now identify is like, we live in a culture that's so, that has so much fat phobia, right? Like, um, yes. And look at Weight Watchers, right? That thing for children. I mean, if you go to their website, they have children as young as, eight years old having before and after photos with testimonials and it it just (laughs) that was like quite an instagram rage on my page that day (laughs) (laughs) i appreciated it very much (laughs) oh thank you but because like i know the harm that it does you know and like i wasn't even put in a weight loss program i just had food taken away from me like to the point that I used to hide snacks in my room or I would like as quietly as I could I would try to sneak downstairs and get food at nighttime because I was hungry because food kept being taken away from me Um, and so now that I see like this is so normalized and it's so crazy to me that this is so normalized to start these behaviors at eight years old like they're teaching kids how to track food in their phone rather than listening to their hunger cues and fullness cues um So it it kind of scares me that this behavior is literally considered normal now and it's considered praise and like, oh, you got a gold star because you track certain foods. I mean, they told kids like, don't eat almonds. It's a, I think it was like a yellow or a red food for them or something. Mm. Um, But like they're almonds. It's like such an amazing source of calcium and it's a completely healthy fat like why somebody posted something that was like who do you know that got unhealthy from eating almonds yeah. I've seen <laughs> you know, that about like, like carrots and watermelon yes. like these high sugar you know quote unquote right. um I'm curious also for you in sharing the story now is it difficult for you to talk about or did you have to talk to your parents at all about okay you know I'm processing all this stuff I'm gonna share this stuff like is it difficult for you to share when when there are other other people in the story? It's hardest to tell it to them, like to yeah. my parents. Um, and in therapy, maybe if somebody's listening to this, they may find it helpful. Um, I also just want to make clear that my parents are amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I know I'm saying all these things right now, but they love me and they've done everything for me. And I just want to make sure that people know I love them and they're absolutely amazing and I I know that they were just thinking they were trying to protect me. But anyways, um, my therapist had me write a letter. And I would really recommend this to other people. Like if you're not ready to talk to the person, she said, I want you to go home and I want you to write out what you would say to your parents. And um, when I read it, And I went back to therapy. I was like, I don't want to say this to them because they are amazing parents. They've given me everything and they've sacrificed so much. Um, I feel like if I read this to them that it would just crush them. And like, I just didn't feel that it was fair. And she said to me, you never even have to give it to them, but you just need to let those emotions go. 
And then she said, I want you to keep telling your story until it doesn't make you cry anymore. Mm. And um, it's like amazing now that almost a year later, I can finally say the story without crying. Um, So that's what I did to all the people that had hurt me. I wrote letters. Well, I typed them. I put them on my computer um, because I wanted to save them. And and sometimes I go back and look at them and um, it allows me to see where the anger was, where the sadness was and why latch onto the disordered eating. And it's a reminder of when I sometimes I'll slip into old behaviors. I can use those things sort of like tools to say like, no, like your small body didn't make you happy. You just felt unloved by these people and you just wanted their adoration. Um, so letters were very, very helpful. Um, but then eventually I did feel ready to talk to these people and with my parents it happened by complete accident I was at home um oh my goodness when was it this was just a few months ago and my brother was like why are you studying nutrition you're not gonna make any money and I was like (laughs) well I really (laughs) want kind of true kind of true depending on the sphere that you work in but I was like you know my therapist my, my therapist is a registered dietitian and then did extra training to do therapy and eating disorders. And um, so she just changed my life and she gave me my freedom back. And I think I would really love to do this for people. He said, you know, one of my friends just confided in me that he is experiencing orthorexia and I don't know how to help him. Like, what did your therapist do? My parents just happened to be right there. And I was like, you know, we did exposure therapy, but a lot of it was going back to childhood. And and then I was explaining what we were just talking about, how people took food away, how they called me fat. And both my parents' jaws dropped and they were like, we never thought you were that fat. We never thought any of these things. Your sister was just so underweight. So we were just concerned about getting so much food into her. We never meant to. You know, so it's kind of funny, like when you actually have the conversation, my parents Mm -hmm. are like, we never, ever even thought these things about you. But I believe that they were thinking about me. Um, But my parents were so amazing because when we had the conversation, you know, could have gone either way. Right. Yeah. Um, But they were like, we're so sorry that you felt this way. And we're so sorry you've been dealing with all this pain for all these years and this um, disorder. And they're like, we're so proud of you for getting help. And we're so happy that you're in a much better place. And they're like, you know what you felt is what you felt. And we can't tell you that was wrong. We're just so sorry that you didn't feel you could come to us sooner. And I was like, Oh my God, I should have just opened my mouth like 12 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) It's always easier in hindsight, right? Yeah. But I think letters are a great step if somebody's not ready. And the reason I asked about if it's difficult to share is because I, you know, I got the, I had the feeling that you do have great parents that you love who love you very much. And that's why it, these things are so complicated. They weren't the only factor. And like it, it, it all is so complicated. And sometimes it can just be hard to communicate that. And so that's why I was curious about what it feels like to share that. Because at least for me, I know sometimes I struggle with like, well, I don't want to hurt, you know, so-and-so. But this is a big part oh, yeah. of my story. You know, it's, it's tricky. Um, when did you start dancing and... And I've heard that in that world, I mean, it, it. I've heard that there's a lot of disordered eating. Is that, was that something yeah. that was normalized? I think it depends on the type of dancing you do. I think I got really lucky that uh, when I was dancing for a few years, because I started much later in life. I, was, I think I was 15 or 16. Oh, okay. Um, 
<laughs> it happened by complete accident. I went to go see my mom dance on a lesson because she was going to drive me to a play date afterwards. And I said, wait, I want to take a dance lesson. That looks so cool. And then I took one lesson and I said, mom, can I graduate high school early and just pursue dancing? And she was like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> um, and the studio was just such a warm, welcoming place. And um, this was probably a happier point in my time or timeline of disordered eating and eating disorders um because they in ballroom dancing you know it's very touchy-feely very intimate and it just made me like appreciate my body and I was like wow like I'm starting to have more of like a woman's body and it was so embraced um so for a few years there I I didn't really think about my body I didn't hate it I didn't love it um, I wasn't restricting as much, but when I was a freshman in college, um, you know, I still had disordered thoughts. Like I remember being so excited that my car was like a mile and a half from campus. I was like, Oh, I'll have to do at least three miles of walking every day. So I'll get more steps in. So I was terrified of getting the freshman 15. Everybody was like, Oh, you're going to gain so much weight. And it's like that, that voice in my head was like, Oh yeah, watch me. Like I'm going to lose 15 pounds. Mm. I'm not going to gain 15. You know, like that's just how my mind was. And so because literally because I was just walking and moving so much more between dance, walking to campus, walking to my car, I did start to lose weight. Not that I needed to, but and not that I was actively trying to at that point. But somebody made a comment at a dance competition and he goes, oh, my God, you look amazing. You look so thin in your dress. You look great. And then somebody said something to my mom and then my mom told me and then it started like to get really bad again because I was like, mm. oh, my God, I didn't even back. know that. Yeah, I was like, I didn't even know that I needed to lose weight, but they said I looked better, so let me keep going. Like, I have to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So ballroom dancing itself helped me for a period of time, but it was the feedback from other people, um, which is why I always post about being very hesitant to comment on people's appearance because you never know how it can affect them. I mean, sometimes, you know, like if it's a bride, oh, you look so happy, you look so beautiful. Like, these are just things that normally come out or... I don't know, maybe some other special occasion, but I really try to make a point to not comment on people's appearances because it affected me so deeply and it could trigger eating disorder behaviors in a, in a minute just from a couple of words. Yeah. I feel like so much of this stuff like can be so triggering in the context of your like your closest relationships. So like with your husband, you know, I would imagine you want you want him to think that you're beautiful, you know, <laughs> like that. Oh, yeah. Know. And then I'm like, don't comment on my appearance. Yeah, like my body. <laughs> I've actually yeah. had conversations with my boyfriend, Martin, where I'm like, I want you to think I'm beautiful, but I don't want to be objectified. Like, I really don't know. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, how do you navigate It's that? hard. So I think it's kind of a bit of trial and error. Um, so we have navigated this um, for many years I think what he was actually the one that encouraged me to finally get help he was like it was when I was just diagnosed and like I said to him like I have a problem like I need to get help with this stuff like I can't keep living my life like this and he's like I really think you should go to therapy and like get professional help with this and um but it was so hard and he was one of the people I had to have one of those conversations and one of those letters with because when I was 22 years old I had this management job um, for a yoga studio and it required a lot of sitting. So I wasn't moving as much. I was extremely stressed. It was, 
was not the healthiest environment. I remember people saying things like, oh, I only know I look good when my parents tell me I look anorexic. Like, literally, that's the type of stuff that was said every single day. And women who were so underweight were just like, I need to lose more and more weight. And um, so that's the environment I was in, just as like a background setting to the story. And I come home, Alfredo and I were doing one just this point, and um, he was joking around because he had a desk job at this point. He goes, you know, I'm going to start working out again. I want to get, I want to get my abs back. And I joked and I was like, oh, I've never had abs. And um, he was like, oh, well, you did when we first started dating. And I was mm-hmm. like, excuse mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and to this day, he's like, I didn't say that. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I just made this up. I remember hanging up the phone, calling my mom, crying. And then I remember the next day I contacted this woman who went to her studio, who was a personal trainer. And I said, I want you to put me on a diet and I want you to um, help me work out. And oh my God, like looking back on it now, as somebody who studies nutrition, like what the actual fuck was I even thinking? But (laughs) she would have me eat only animal protein. Like it could only be chicken. Okay. Trigger warning, trigger warning. Don't listen to this. If you have an eating disorder, um, I could only eat chicken, hardwood, and fish, and it could only be cooked in vinegar or water. And then on day four, she wouldn't let you have one vegetable. And then you went back to X amount of animal protein. But I lost weight really fast. I lost like, oh my God, I think eight or 10 pounds. And I'm only 5'3". So on my frame, yep, that's a dramatic difference. And when I saw him, I literally remember, like, the next time I went to Georgia to visit him, his jaw dropped. And he's like, you look amazing. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I have to keep doing this. But I couldn't because diets don't work. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I gained all the weight back plus more. Um, and so when I had to confront him about that, it was really painful for both of us. But now navigating it being in recovery, it's hard because there's times when we go out on dates and like spend like an hour doing my hair and makeup and everything. And I'm like, (laughs) you didn't say anything. Like, do you know how long this took me to do? Are you kidding me right now? And he's like, baby, you know, I think you're beautiful. And then I'm like, yeah, but I'm smart too, right? (laughs) (laughs) So he... He's done really well. And this was part of my therapy. She's like, you need to communicate to your husband what you want him to say. So I would tell him, like, I want you to compliment, like, things outside of my body. So, like, when I do well in school now, he's like, I'm so proud of you, baby. You're so smart. You're doing so well. You're kicking ass. And it was a lot of me having to communicate to him what I did want to hear and what I didn't want to hear. Because when he would say things like, but you're so beautiful. You don't need to lose weight. Like that never helped. I was like, it doesn't matter. Like you could tell me I'm beautiful till you're blue in the face. If I don't believe it, that's not going to change. And I don't want to hear other people commenting on my appearance. I would much rather you say something about my personality or my uh, career that I'm good at something in my career. Like that is so much more meaningful to me than you saying like your body's banging or whatever. Um, so it was constantly reinforcing that I couldn't hear those things for quite a while, but now, now being, um, almost a year into recovery, you know, I'm like just, we've been together for seven years. So it's nice to hear that your husband's attracted Mm -hmm. to you still. And, (laughs) um, but I think the biggest thing was the communication was just telling him what I did need to hear, what I didn't need to hear and what, what I appreciated more than anything else. So it's not easy, but. And it's awkward conversations, a lot of awkward conversations. Yeah. 
And sometimes it's like the day that you're having too, right? Like today, I can't hear that. Or the next day, all right, I want to hear that. And like I I said to Martin one time, he, I I did something nice. I don't remember what. And he was like, oh, you're such a, you're such a little perfect angel. And I was like, I really appreciate what you're trying to say, but I actually like the word perfect and the word angel, like I really struggle with those things and I I would prefer not to use them because I've I definitely spent a very long time trying to be a perfect little angel and um the results are not good (laughs) (laughs) but that's amazing that you are comfortable enough to share that with him because that's really really hard like I'm just getting to a point now where I'm comfortable if I meet somebody and they start doing diet talk and like sometimes I can brush it off and other times I cannot brush it off like it's just oh I'm like I don't want to hear this and I and I just say you know I'm really sorry can we talk about something else like it it's just not good for my mental health to be talking about these things right now and it's weird isn't it like to tell people that but but I'm so proud of you. That's really hard work. <laughs> Thank you. I'm proud of you too. <laughs> Thank you. Well, and okay, so going back to college, like, um, you know, we were talking about this before, but we were on mm-hmm. a really small campus. So I don't think we had classes together, but I would see you on campus. Did you commute to school? My my junior and senior year, I commuted, but my freshman and sophomore, I was on campus. Okay. And did you? But I was um, gone a lot. (laughs) Were you doing like competitions and stuff? Yes. I think I was gone literally almost every single weekend. I'd Mm. be gone either Thursday to Sunday or Friday to Sunday. Mm. And did you graduate from high school early? Like you said you wanted to? Wow. Uh Uh-huh. So that is a lot of discipline. Like, you know, yeah. And it's like, I don't know if you did this in therapy, but one of the exercises that they have us do for eating disorders is, you know, this disorder, whatever it might be, OCD, anxiety, eating disorder, um, X, Y, Z. They were like, they're, you know, don't, don't demonize yourself for these traits. Like, so you do an area of like, how do these traits hurt you? And how do these traits help you? And that discipline or that quote-unquote perfectionism that a lot of us struggle with, um, I was like, you know what? It really didn't serve me in my, like, freaking out episodes of control, but it has really helped me with my schooling. Like, my discipline with school has really paid off, and I get really good grades now, whereas when I was younger, not so much. (laughs) Um, So did, did you have to do that in therapy where you talk about how it may have hurt you and how it may have helped you? Well, actually, so for the first episode of the podcast, I interviewed my aunt Cheryl, um, Cheryl Paul. She's a therapist and she came out with a book recently called The Wisdom of Anxiety. And it's kind of all about how anxiety brings gifts as well and and messages. Um, And that the other side of the coin with anxiety is often like creativity and sensitivity and compassion and kindness and like, and, you know, being observant, like all of these yeah, really positive things that just kind of get like turned up really they're, they're you know, that they're really sensitive and they're kind of you're you're drawing the wrong conclusions, you know, <laughs> like your sensitivity is high. Right. You're noticing all these things. You're very imaginative. So you're noticing and then you're making up these stories. Right. Um, that are just not right. they're not grounded in reality. Um, so, yeah, like she's really helped me in terms of just saying like, actually, you know, because so often we see anxiety as like 
oh, I'm just a weak person, you know, like there's something wrong with me. Everyone else is fine. I'm just weak and messed up. Um, And she's been really helpful for a lot of people in just saying like, no, there's a lot of like beautiful gifts that you're, that you have. um, And you can actually direct that energy into different channels, um, like creativity. I think like this podcast helps me with anxiety because it's a way to channel my creative energy and imagination into something that I can create as opposed to just being trapped in my head with all these thoughts, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I'm assuming you had a sense for a long time of like, hmm, the, the relationship I have with food doesn't seem to be super, you know, it doesn't make me feel super good. But did you, did you ever think before your husband suggested it of seeking out help, like going to therapy or did it just like not even occur to you? Yeah, no, I definitely knew I needed help. Um, probably a couple of years prior to that. And, um, I just, I didn't want to give up my smaller body, you know, like I was so attached to it and, um, and it was really hard with the wedding coming up, like, oh gosh, the pressure that brides face to be like this picture, mm. perfect, tiny little thing. Oh, it was awful. I mean, that was probably when my eating disorder was the worst. Um, I was so scared of giving that up and I was so scared that if I gained weight, that my parents wouldn't love me. I was scared that my husband wouldn't be attracted to me. Um, I, I was just so scared that nobody would come to my yoga classes. Like they wouldn't look up to me anymore. Um, and I know I was scared of losing control because giving up my eating disorder meant that I was giving up control over all these emotions. Like that's how I, like through therapy, I learned that the eating disorder was how I processed all that trauma. Mm. Um, and all those, like all that bullying is that this was my coping mechanism. So when I did not want to remove that coping mechanism because I didn't know how to deal with it if I couldn't control my food. Um, and I, I really believe if I didn't get cancer, I would have never gotten help to be totally honest. Cause I thought it was worth it. Like in my disordered mindset, I was like, I don't want to go to therapy. Like I want to keep this small body. I don't care. Like I think it's worth it. And then when you hear the words, you have cancer, it's like, what the fuck was I thinking? Like, this is not worth it at all. And um, I wish I didn't have to learn that way for sure. But I'm very grateful for the wake up call that it gave me. And I definitely wish I would have sought therapy years and years before that. I remember in high school, this girl tried to report me to the school nurse because um, mm. all the trigger warning for people who may be listening about foods I'm going to talk about um, for lunch. And I thought this was normal because my mother eats my, I don't think my mom has an eating disorder. My mom, she's just naturally very small, like genetically that's her build. She doesn't eat a lot. Um, it's just how she is. She's been like that her entire life. Um, so I thought it was normal to literally eat a bowl of raw bell peppers and half of the yogurt. And that would be my lunch. And, um, she reported me to the school nurse and they said, we think you have an eating disorder. And at the time I didn't even know it. I was like, no, I don't. I just eat really healthy. Like I'm fine. Da, 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 da. Looking back on it. No, I definitely had an eating disorder. <laughs> um, but I couldn't see it myself mm. at the time. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I had to learn by getting cancer girlfriend. Oh my God. <laughs> Wouldn't recommend it, but <laughs> I wish I would have gotten therapy. 
And, but I can understand why you didn't, because honestly, I think, I think that's so common for people, no matter what their compulsion is or their coping mechanism is like what, because anxiety is also a coping mechanism. Like, right. There's all this like kind of magical thinking or emotional logic behind it of like, if I just worry and worry and worry, nothing bad will happen or I can stop something bad from happening. So it is a, it's a control thing, like the eating and and so I know that for me, like I, I first went, well, I actually first went to a psychologist when I was like 11 um, for just for a little bit. And then I, I went back when I was 15, when I started, I was having really bad panic attacks and I was on home instruction. Oh, I'm so sorry. But I, I, you know, there is a resistance of like, I don't want to get help. I don't want to get better because I don't know how I'm going to get through life without this. Like if I have to start yeah. changing, I don't know like how I'm going to cope. Yeah, and it's scary to lose those coping mechanisms because when you feel like you don't have control, you're mm-hmm. like, what? I have to face these emotions? I don't want to do that. <laughs> and the, the thing is that we never really did have the control, but we felt like we did. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. And I'm also intrigued so by that kind of intellect disconnect thing. Like we can intellectually understand all sorts of things and and not – but then the way that we're actually living – um, or our behaviors are not really reflecting what we can intellectually understand. So, oh, like, a thousand percent, yes. When you were at Drew, did you study women and gender studies? Yes. So you would think that I would be more aware of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the saddest part is like when the eating disorder started getting really bad in my twenties. I was back in school studying human physiology. So. Yeah. Um, I hadn't focused on nutrition yet, but we had touched on it. And so I knew like the basic mechanisms of how these things worked, but still my eating disorder mind, I was like, no, if I eat very healthy, I will never get a disease. So I need to only eat vegetables and air and lean (laughs) meat. Like I really, really believe that because it's a disorder. So it's like you're saying, like, even though I literally was studying to get a degree in this, like the disorder in the mind is so powerful that it can be completely disconnected. Yeah, and I and I bring that up not to be like, excuse me, Jesse, weren't you like, shouldn't you have known? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I didn't take um, it like that at all. But because I also like I, um, you know, I was so interested in feminism and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I was still like, I'm only as worthy as I am attractive and pleasing especially to men I mean in my heart you know like in my heart I could speak all of the jargon and I could intellectually understand it all but it is such a different thing to know it in your body and to actually start to live that knowing you know absolutely I'm curious for you because for me that would kind of compound the shame sometimes like but I know better like why can't I just be a good feminist why can't I just be a stronger person like I know better um it that that feeling of disconnect between what I know and how I'm actually living like how did you experience that disconnect oh my god on so many different levels <laughs> so much shame like I remember I moved to Dallas about two years ago 
And I literally remember I used to make fun of women who would move like to be with the love of their life. I was like, um, love of your life ain't going to pay your bills. And, <laughs> you know, like that was really my attitude. And then I was the one doing it. And I like felt so much shame around it. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't like this is against everything I've ever said. But yet here I am. And, you know, best decision I ever made to move here. I love my husband. Been together seven years. And then when we got here. I couldn't work right away because what happens with yoga is like to get a job, you have to take X amount of classes at that studio. So they get to know you and then you audition and then you have to wait till a slot opens in the schedule. So for about a month, um, I wasn't working because I was just, I was networking. I was going to all these studios and when I wasn't working, like, Oh my God, I was like, like, what, what am I doing? I'm like, I'm just staying home and I just, I'm cleaning the house and I just like, I do everything for my man and like, I'm not bringing in money. And like, I struggled with that so much. Um, my husband was so sweet though. He's like, Jesse, I knew it was going to be like this for a little bit when you moved here. Like you gave up everything to be here. Like, I'm not expecting you to do all these things. And I was like, well, if I can't work right now, I'll be like the perfect little housewife. But then Mm. I struggled with that because I was like, wait, like I'm more than just taking care of my man. Like I want to take care of myself. And I really, really struggled with that. And I still struggle with that because I don't make a lot of money and I feel like I don't bring a lot to the table. And my husband's like, you do so many other things though that I can't do because I'm in an office. He's like, you pick up so much stuff that I wouldn't be able to do. And if it was the other way, he's like, if you made more money than me right now, I would be doing the extra stuff that you're doing around the house or whatever. But I, I still this day like I still feel so much shame around like I truly believe in feminism and both partners working and contributing equally but I can't like I got sick and I couldn't contribute and that was really really hard to process of like I physically could not work and I still felt shame even though it was cancer I was like well maybe (laughs) but like but it was all taken away from me I literally couldn't contribute anything financially and that's something that I still process in therapy um, and my therapist asked me, she's like, well, well, what is that about? And I was like, well, I just feel like you get judged as a woman. Like if you're not contributing, like they just automatically think you're a gold digger. Like, you know, I can even tell the people sometimes when I'm talking to them, they say, oh, what do you do for a living? And I say, oh, I teach yoga full time. They just kind of give me this look of like, oh, you must have a well-off husband. And I'm like, no, no, well, <laughs> all right. I, you know, it's like, you just get certain attitudes because of the field that you're in. And it's like, well, I'm also going to school and I'm trying to do these things, but I always feel a need to prove myself. Like, do you ever feel the need to be like, well, no, I do this and I do this and I do this and (laughs) I do this. And my therapist was like, could you just let it be? Like, what is that about? And I was like, yeah, what is that about? Like, and I called my mom and I'm like, why the fuck is it part of my language? But like, why is there so much pressure on women? Like to do all of it. Like, you know, that podcast that you did with the, um, oh, it's name Alex. Am I remembering correctly? Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Like him being an inclusive father was amazing because like, I can tell you right now, like, I mean, we're not ready to have children. We don't even know if we want kids, but my mom's like, it's going to be all left on you when, you know, if you ever choose to have children, like it's always the woman that ends up doing more. And I was like, why though? Like we are told we have to be the perfect wife, the perfect mother. You have to have the career, but you have to take care of your children. And it's like, oh God, it's so, it's so hard. And I still struggle with this. But the thing that's helped me the most other than therapy is just like when these insecurities come up, I have to talk it out with my husband. I'm like, I don't know why this is coming up for me right now, but I just feel really guilty that I cannot bring this 
same financial status to the table that you are bringing to the table. Um, cause he still helps me at home, you know, like we both get home at the end of the day and he will still help me put the laundry away. He does the cat boxes while I'm cleaning up the kitchen. Um, but the shame around it is really, really hard, especially studying women gender studies. Cause I feel like there's a conflict, like my feminist side is like, well, this should be equal. Like, don't feel bad asking for help. This should be equal. But the other part of me is like, yeah, but he's working so hard and he brings home more money and he pays a little bit more of the bills. So you need to do more. And it's like, we both bring different things to the table. And my husband is very sweet. And he says he's a very proud feminist, which is like Mm. the sexiest thing in the world to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, keep talking to me, babe. Um, But I'm still working through that right now. I think therapy, (laughs) therapy is like my answer to everything. (laughs) It's a great and answer. Just, right? And just communicating when those insecurities come up, like to right away just nip it in the butt. And then when he's like, Jesse, just relax. Like you're just you're freaking out. You're putting ideas in your head. And uh, I think we would do that a lot as women. At least I do myself. Like I just put this idea in my head. I'm like, oh, he's mad at me because I didn't do whatever. And I ask him, he's like, what are you talking about? No. Yeah. He's like, I'm just tired. I've been at the office all day. Like yeah. I just want to drink my beer. And like, and I was like, oh, Okay. Or like when I started gaining weight in recovery, I was like, do you like, do you still love me? And he was like, Jesse, I would love you if you were a hundred pounds heavier from now. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so that was a huge part of learning and therapy of like, when anything comes up, don't let it just sit in your head, say it out loud so that you know what is true. And that's been like the thing I always come back to what is actually true. And I think that the truth is going to come out somehow. So you can either just say it. Or you can let it come out the way that it finds its way out, which might be through the way you eat or or you might explode at your husband one day or whatever, right? right? Like, it, but it's going to yes. come out. So why not try to get ahead of it? That's what I'm trying to learn to do too. Our culture really prizes thinness and hard work and discipline and money and productivity. What are you producing? And, and the things that we ascribe value to, that we say, this is valuable, you know, um, there are things that aren't as tangibly, you know, you can't, you can't quantify their value as easily. You can't put a dollar sign on it, but they're important, you know, and a lot of those things are kind of like more quote unquote masculine things are seen as more inherently valuable, more quantifiably valuable and more feminine qualities are not. Yes. It's so true. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast, and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit the Moon by Paul Finn.